Get out your Bible if you have one. Open it up to the book of John. Uh, we are teaching through John's gospel this year. And you know, um, one of my favorite things about this time that we have together, oh, by the way, if you, don't, if you need a Bible, just slip up your hand. We have one, and I'll even tell you what page number it's on uh, in the Bibles that we have. 889 is where we're going to be. One of the most important things to acknowledge uh, as we gather in this way is that this time that we open God's word is really about focusing on the Lord. And you know, in any relationship, we have to be intentional about focusing on that relationship, right? Uh, So I've mentioned Jeannie and I, we have four kids. We're very busy. We see each other a lot. I mean, in the course of the last few weeks, we've seen each other a lot. I wake up, I'm making breakfast, she's making lunches, and we're sending the kids to school. I'm out the door to work. I come home. We're dealing with kids. We put them to bed. We watch a show. We go to sleep. I mean, we see a lot in passing. But, you know, it occurred to me yesterday that although we've seen each other a lot and we would acknowledge each other's presence, we haven't focused on one another very much. And so um, we asked um, a friend to, to come over and to watch our kids so that we could go out. And so we went out last night. We went to Corner Table. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Corner Table. Yeah, it's good. Jackie, did you like Corner Table? Yeah, okay, good, yeah. And so it's, it's, a, it's a new place that we like. And by the, you know, who, it's local, so we want to support it. But, but um, and this is a place we like going. We enjoy it. And, you know, we got to sit at the bar and so that put us close in proximity to one another. You know, I did the bar sit, you know, where she's facing forward. And I sat kind of sideways. You know, that bar, some of you all frequent the bar, don't lie. Um, and so, so you know, we're, uh, we're, I'm focusing on her. I'm talking to her. You know, she has her hand on my knee and I have my hand on her back. And we're being intentional. I mean, it takes a little time to kind of warm up. I mean, we've seen each other and we've got four kids, so we know one another. Um, but, but it takes a little time to kind of like to, 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 to read engage one another you know what I mean in this relationship and then from there afterwards we're trying to decide to go to the movies and then I'm like oh, AMC which is like no offense junior high hangout uh, you know I, I, I just don't know that I'm going to do that spend $25 to listen to some smart look in the top row make noises the whole movie you know I said I just because typically what I do is stand up turn around and tell them to shut up <laughs> you know which gets awkward you know because I'm a pastor anyway um and so um so, so I said, let's don't go to the movies. And so we went, uh, did a little shopping, actually. We went and did a little shopping, walked around. And here's what I did. I'm like, I'm telling myself, I'm going to focus on her, and I'm going to take time. So I sat quietly uh, in the dressing room as she was coming out. I go, what do you think? And I thought, I don't care. No, I didn't say that. I, I said, yeah, that's great. That's great. No, those are great. That, you know, I, I focused on her. I took time with her. And then after that, um, we, we went to Fellini, which is our, our kind of our new favorite coffee shop over in Rice Village. Uh, Greg and Mona introduced us to it. We went over there and we sat down and we, 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 we drank coffee and we just enjoyed each other's presence. I'm going to tell you something. From before, from the time, I mean, we're, we're in relationship with one another. I mean, we're married. We're going to stay married. Um, and, and we're in relationship with one another. But there are times in any relationship where if you don't focus on one another, it just begins to to lack, right? It begins to, you begin to feel distance. This is what I told her. I said, I just feel distanced from you. We need to focus on one another. And fortunately, by the end of the day, our hearts were engaged. We, we were glad to go home holding hands and, and, um, and, and be in each other's company. This is what we're doing in a time like this. You know, this is what we're doing. Uh, many of you have a relationship with the Lord. You acknowledge that God sent Jesus to die on the cross, and this, this, is a, this is the way that our sin goes to the cross. It's a mysterious exchange, and by God's 
because of God's love, by his grace, our sin can be erased. And uh, you believe that, you acknowledge that, most of you, not all of you, and, and I'm glad that there are some of you that are here that are here listening, to this, listening to this good news. But there are times when we feel distanced from the Lord. What do we do? You know, it's the same thing. We focus on him and we, we draw ourselves in our, the heart, our heart, the eyes of our heart to look at him. This is why we're going through the scriptures. This is why I'm teaching you what God's word says, because this is the best way to get you to see God for who he is, for you to sit near God the Father. We do this by seeing Jesus and and, and noticing his behavior. So I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to ask that in this time, we this would be like a, a, a date with the Lord. It sounds funny. This would be like an encounter with the Lord. If we are able to focus him and just enjoy his presence through his word. Let me pray. God, you're an awesome God. I pray that your word, though it's merely words on a page, would become the tool through which we're able to experience you deeply and to draw deeply into a relationship with you. God, we tend to focus on so many other areas. We focus primarily on relationships with, with our stuff or with, a, with another person and and I, I know that those aren't in and of themselves bad, but if, if that's our primary focus, God, we, we become very empty. So God, now in this moment, as we focus on you through listening to your word, I pray, God, that you draw us in deeply, that this would be like a living water to our weary souls. We love you, and I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever seen or heard something so spectacular you cannot you could not explain how it happened have you ever heard or seen something so spectacular you could not explain how it happened i read a story this week about a man 78 years old walter uh snowball williams what a nickname right walter snowball williams well the reason that walter was written about was because uh, he had an experience something that's very difficult to explain Walter was on hospice. He died. The coroner came in, pronounced him dead. They put him in a body bag, took him to the um, morgue. Thank you. This is group participation. This is fun. All right. So took him to the morgue. They're about to embalm him, and they hear a noise. They hear the noise of his foot moving in the bag. And then all of a sudden, they hear some moaning. They're about to embalm this man that's been in this bag for some time, pronounced dead, no heartbeat. And for some unexplained reason, he comes back to life. This is an incredible story. I mean, I've read it from several different news agencies this week in trying to to find out if it was a hoax. But it appears that it really did happen, which is incredible. I mean, he's 78 years old. He's going to die someday, right? No one lives forever. But this is, an, this is an instance of something that has happened that's reported on that's spectacular, that's difficult to explain. 
Now, I won't try to explain that. I don't know anything about Walter. I'm not even going to try to make this a religious kind of illustration. I don't know if he's a person of faith or if people are praying for him. I do not know. But I do know this. There are instances in the Bible where the spectacular happens. Our confession as a church is that Jesus is God in the flesh. And so there are stories in the Bible that that portray Jesus as compassionate and loving and concerned. Um, These things could be said about other religious leaders too, right? Compassionate, loving, and concerned. But one thing that separates Jesus is his unique ability to perform the miraculous. He calms the storm. He casts out demons. He multiplies food. He heals the sick, as in our story, and he raises the dead. Now, I want to, to make a point here, and I want you to hear me really, really clearly. Many people are willing to acknowledge that Jesus is a remarkable leader and humanitarian. Most people will acknowledge that about him. That's irrefutable, frankly. He's a remarkable leader and a concerned humanitarian. But too many stop short of believing that Jesus is actually fully God. And as we read the story of Jesus' life, we read stories of supernatural power. It's impossible to read the Bible, read the Gospels, and John's Gospel, and not see that Jesus had a supernatural power. And this growing understanding of what it means that Jesus has authority in the supernatural is essential to our belief that Jesus is the Savior. And as you know, John says that his purpose in writing is that you will believe so that you will have life. This story is an instance of Jesus doing the miraculous. Uh, Look here in verse 46. And would you stand to your feet as we read God's word, and then I'm going to teach you what it says. It's actually quite very few passages, very few verses. So here we go. John chapter 4, verse 46. We read acknowledging that kind of uniqueness and how special God's word is. So he, who is he? Yeah, there you go, church answer, good job. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. So Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. It's interesting here what's going on. Uh, Jesus has gone from... Uh, gone to Cana in Galilee where he'd made water to wine. Do you remember that story from a few weeks ago? Uh, Just to remind you, Jesus, uh, along with his mother and some friends, are at a party. They're probably connected to the people that have thrown this party. It's a wedding party. And um, the wine is running out. And so Jesus 
uh, finds out about it. In fact, Jesus' mother comes to him and says, the wine is running out, do something about it. Jesus rebukes her, basically says, back off, woman. We, 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 we said and agreed on that that's not a good way to talk to your mother. Um, and, 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 but she persists, and she tells the, the disciples or the people around her, do whatever Jesus says. And then Jesus goes, and he takes these urns and, that are filled with water, and he performs a miracle, and they turn into the best wine that's available at the wedding party. He does a miracle. It's, it's, it's private. Uh, not many people, or not really anybody, knew that Jesus had done it. In fact, the people that get acknowledgement for that miracle are the, those that are in charge of throwing the party. Well, that was one miracle that had happened, and it's a miracle privately among the Jewish people. Well, last week we talked about this miracle. It was semi-private among the Samaritans. And, and Jesus does these miracles. And uh, you remember the story last week? Jesus uh, goes to Samaria. He's thirsty. goes to a well where this woman is there drawing water. The woman is there by herself in the middle of the day because she's a woman with a poor reputation. He performs a miracle in the sense that he tells her something about herself that he would have no way of knowing unless he knew something in the supernatural. He tells her and acknowledges uh, in her presence that she has been married five times and that she's now living with a man who's not her husband. We talked last week about how Jesus says, I'm the living water, and how many people are going to fill themselves with things that will leave them thirsty, but in Jesus, there's a living water. So Jesus performs this uh, this miracle in a semi-private kind of a way among the Samaritans because the woman goes back to Samaria, uh, the town, and brings a bunch of people, and then Jesus stays with them. Well, here is a miracle among Gentiles, a group of Gentile people. Now, this is important outside of the idea of miracles because what we see is that Jesus is concerned about all people. Jesus isn't just concerned about the religious Jews or the marginalized Samaritans. But he's also concerned about Gentiles. He's concerned about people that are not Jewish. Jesus and what he's come to do is for all people. I mean, we need to sit and enjoy that. Because there's all kinds of different people in this room. People with different backgrounds. People with different experiences. People with different religious heritages. There's different people in our city. But when Jesus enters the conversation, we... We can just enjoy the fact that Jesus is, is for all people. Poor people, rich people, people of different ethnic groups. People that have had fairly moralistic kind of backgrounds. People that have had really, really crummy backgrounds. Some of you have stories that, that of, 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 uh, of wallowing in and living in your own sin. I mean, Jesus is for all kinds of people. And this miracle that he's going to do is among the Gentiles. So, so here's, here's what happens. He's um, in Capernaum. There's an official son who is ill. So chances are this man who has come to Jesus is, uh, works for Herod Antipas, uh, which is, uh, uh, he, he's, he calls himself a king, but he's actually not a king. He's a religious leader, or he's a leader uh, over the Jews. And um, so it might be interesting to note that the fact that Jesus even listens to this man in light of the fact that Jesus doesn't like who he works for, is, is fairly unique. You know, Jesus is looking at this guy. So, so this man comes to Jesus, and he says to him, I need you to help my son because he's to the point of death. Now, something is interesting that happens here, and this is a pattern throughout the gospel. Um, Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So Jesus chides him. 
And the word you here is actually not just talking about the man who's come and asked for the miracle. It's talking about the larger group of Jews. It's a plural. So unless you, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And what Jesus has done here is, is gotten on to them because what this man is doing is looking for a miracle. For him, it's all about the sign. It's all about the trick. And Jesus knows that if our belief is only based on how we're wowed by the supernatural, we, we will quickly forget that. And some of you can remember a time in your life where you experienced something and you knew it was from God. You knew it was from God. It was like, you can't explain this. You know it was from God. But I mean, how long did that last? If our faith is rooted in the miraculous, in the kind of temporary things, then, then uh, it will not last. And Jesus knew this about this man. He had come to him really focusing heavily on the miracles. And he rebukes him and all these people who, they hear about Jesus, that he can do the miraculous. They're not really interested in who Jesus is. I mean, this is, this is our day some too, right? People aren't really interested in, in who Jesus is or what he says. People are interested in uh, getting something from him. So the, what can Jesus do for me? If he can do something for me better than I can do for myself, then yeah, I'll go to church. So Jesus wants them to acknowledge his true identity. This man is desperate. Do you know that God will lead us to a place of desperation? God will lead us to a place of desperation. Some of you have not gotten really serious about your relationship with the Lord. And I suggest to you that you do not wait until you get desperate before finding Jesus. Others of you have in your story a time where you were so broken, you had no other option but to cry out to God. And God in his grace is rescuing you. God will lead us to a place of desperation because God is pursuing you. He's pursuing your heart. He's wooing you. He's calling you. He knows that if you place your faith and your hope and your focus on anything other than him ultimately, that you will be left wanting. You'll be left desperate. You will be like a sheep without a shepherd. God will lead us to a place of desperation. And uh, this is a kind of a church, just so you know, where we... We acknowledge and share stories of our own brokenness. We um, are try to admit that. You know, one thing that that uh, that I knew when I started this church was that I wanted to have a church where we could just be honest and authentic and not have to to look overly religious if we weren't feeling really sincerely for the Lord. You know, and we have people in here whose stories, if you heard them, would just break your heart until you hear the part of their story is that God rescued them from that place of desperation. God will lead us to a place of desperation. This man is desperate. I mean, I have uh, my sick, my kids, when they've been sick, if I've been unable to do anything about it, I can, I can, I've tasted that place of desperation where you say, oh God, like I, I need you because I don't know what to do and a doctor can't even help in this situation. So this man, this is how he is. His son is ill. Um, Jesus rebukes him. (laughs) 
It really sounds a little insensitive, it actually does. I mean, he's desperate, he comes to Jesus, Jesus rebukes him, and he's like, but he's a bit unfazed because he goes back and says, Jesus, come. Now, let me, let me pause here. This man is probably a wealthy aristocrat. He's most likely heavily influenced by the Roman Greco culture. Uh, he's using, he's wanting to use Jesus here. He's wanting to, to use Jesus, and once Jesus does this trick, he'll probably go back to his own life. Jesus isn't about doing tricks for people. He's about arresting people's hearts. And you know, we as humans, I mean, we live in a, a culture, and just as humans, we're drawn to eccentric behavior, right? And so maybe what, maybe what he was drawn to was the, the potential that Jesus could do something really eccentric. I mean, do you, do you know that we, we live in a culture where people are drawn to eccentric behavior? Um, I think of the popularity of a show like Jackass, you know, Johnny Knoxville's show, which is really interesting. And if you enjoy watching it, it's cool. I do parts of it too. But the reason is, it's like these grown men are doing things that are totally eccentric. I mean, we as humans are drawn to that. Or, you know, tonight is the Oscars. Is that right? Tonight, the Oscars, something will happen that will be eccentric. That'll be the thing that everybody will be talking about tomorrow. I mean, what are the things that people talked about since the Grammys? Some sort of eccentric behavior about um, somebody that once, you know, performed on Disney and now has gone half crazy, you know? I mean, those are the kinds of things that, that people are drawn to. And Jesus knows that. I mean, Jesus knows that people want the tricks. But, but I'm trying to press into this a little bit because what Jesus is about is something more than tricks. He's, he's about something more than tricks. He is about a greater miracle. He's about the greater miracle that is your salvation. We must come to Jesus in faith because of who he is, not merely for what he can do for us. Listen to that. We must come to Jesus for who he is, not merely for what he can do. If the reason that you have come to Jesus is because you think that coming to Jesus is just going to make your life easier, there are going to be little miracles all around you. There will be. But what happens when those miracles or you begin to struggle financially or you experience some kind of physical suffering, if you've come to Jesus because of the tricks and you don't see any more tricks, then your faith will be gone. We should come to Jesus for who he is. Now hold on to that thought. Verse 49, the official says to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus responds to this man's faith, and he says, go, your son will live. We know he has faith because the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, he meets his servants on the road, and the servants say to him, hey, your son has been healed. He goes, what time was it? And it was at the exact same time that Jesus had said, go, your son will live. So Jesus performs a miracle. It moved this man to believe. The scripture says that he believed and his whole household, which is a pattern we see throughout the first century church. This is a sign that Jesus did. It's a great miracle, right? I, in my study, in my preparation, had in mind to to try to wrestle with you um, this, this idea of miracles. Can things happen in the supernatural? This part of the city, most people that I'm sharing Christ with, really believe that, that, um, that the only things that are true and real are, are what we can understand in the natural. And anything that we perceive as supernatural is because we do not yet have the mental capacity to understand it. That's very humanistic. Maybe some of you are there. But I'm not going to get into all of that because 
frankly, I believe that the Spirit of God will work on you, and that's where your faith will come from. But it is important that you see that Jesus has done a miracle. Jesus works in the supernatural. He's done something here. John tells us about it so that we will believe, so that we will have life. It's a great miracle. Some of you can tell stories about the miraculous in your own life. And, and that's good and, and important. I would encourage you in your home group even this week to share some of those stories. But you know, this miracle points to an even greater miracle by God. And it is the miracle of salvation. Do you know the miracle of salvation? The miracle of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the Bible. Here's what this miracle is. God is holy. We are not. We're separated from God because of our sin. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God made a way. If you could do it on your own, then, uh, then that would be great. But you can't. In fact, the Old Testament is a story of a group of people that had all the tools to do it on their own. They had a list of rules. They had a religious system. They had the blessing from God when they obeyed. But even though they had all of those things, they could not do it on their own. Why? Because of sin. There was something in their heart that could not be overcome by mere behavior, by religious decision. So God came in the form of a man that we call Jesus. And Jesus was living and ministering, we see a lot of things that he was able to do. He was able to do much in the supernatural. As I mentioned, he was able to walk on water and to, to calm the seas, the rough seas. He provided for people that were hungry from a, from a meager offering of food. He, he healed the sick. He cast out the demon. He raised people from the dead. He did all of these things, but this supernatural activity is a shadow of a greater activity that Jesus did on the cross. You see, Jesus went to the cross and he died for our sin. The Bible says that he took the full wrath of God on himself, died for our sin, died in our place. Three days later, later he was raised from the dead by the power of God, declaring that there is victory over sin in Jesus Christ. This is the good news. Who is this available to? Everybody. The religious elite, the down and out, the rich, the poor, the white, the black, every ethnic group in the world has access to God through Jesus Christ. Now this message, quite frankly, has gotten kind of screwed up because of religion for 2,000 years. Some of you have a religious background where you say, well, that sounds different than the way I experienced it. I'm just telling it to you as simply and directly as I can from the Bible. A great miracle would be for you to have your sin erased so that someday when you stand before God the Father, he doesn't see you as wicked. Instead, he sees you as his child. This is the good news of the Bible. And you say, what can I do to earn this? nothing. That's the beauty of the gospel. You cannot earn it. 
You cannot do a series of things so that there would ever be a day where you'd be able to stand before God the Father and say, this is my offering to you, God. This is what I've done to earn your salvation because it will not be enough. But God has made a way through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a guest today or new to this church and you wonder, you wonder about all of this. And you say, what do I need to understand? Here's what you need to understand. You, on your own, are separated from God. You need God to rescue you. He has made a way. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he will erase your sin and give you new life. That's the gospel. That's the story that's told on these pages. Do you believe? Do you want life? Let's pray together. Some of you are here and for the very first time you believe. And you say, what do I do next? Here's what I would say to you. In this quiet moment, you must understand that God loves you more than any person ever could. He knows all of your junk. He knows about the drugs. He knows about the illicit sexual behavior. He knows about the way you've spent your money immorally. He knows about wickedness in your heart. But he's pursuing you. You have prostituted yourself, but he pursues you through Jesus Christ. If you want to be at peace with God, I beg you, accept the sacrifice of Jesus for your sin. Believe so that you will have life. Right there where you are, say to God, God, forgive me for my sin. Give me the life that you have made possible through Jesus Christ. Today is the day. Do not waste another hour of your life running to every other thing than God. Today is the day. And we want to help you do that.